morning, everybody. Oh, that's better. It's great to be together to worship God. And we're going to hear some words from the psalmist as we come aware of being in God's presence. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both highborn and low find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you. You're righteous to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. And let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. Good morning, God. Here we are once more. Your people gathered together on a Sunday morning, seeking to draw closer to you for a while, to tell you that we love you, and to be reminded of your love for us. When we woke up, you were there with us, sharing the newness of the day. As we ate breakfast or drank tea, as we watched TV or listened to the radio, as we squabbled with our families or sat in silence, as we got ourselves ready and made the choice to come to church, there you were, beside us, around us, within us. When we arrived here, you were waiting for us, welcoming us to worship. As we chatted to our friends, or sat quietly to pray. As we read the notice sheets, or looked up the hymns. As we've listened to music and words of scripture. As we sang together, and tried to focus our hearts towards you. There you were. Here you are. Before us. Behind us. Above us. And when we are here, you are everywhere. Active throughout creation. In the horror and weeping of Haiti. In the slums and shantytowns of Asia, Africa and South America. In the fear and violence of Iraq and Afghanistan. In the parliaments of rich, powerful nations. There you are, embracing, transforming, loving, redeeming. Whilst we are here, and you are everywhere, may we know your healing touch in our own lives, comforting and strengthening, changing and renewing, so that when we go out from here to the world of which we are a part, we may be as Christ to those we meet. For we pray in his name. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 14, 
verses 1 to 7. And this is on page 112 of the Pew Bible. Purification after having skin diseases. The Lord gave Moses the following regulations about the ritual purification of a person cured of a dreaded skin disease. On the day he is to be pronounced clean, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall take him outside the camp and examine him. If the disease is healed, the priest shall order two ritually clean birds to be brought, together with a piece of cedar wood, a red cord, and a sprig of hyssop. Then the priest shall order one of the birds to be killed over a clay bowl containing fresh spring water. He shall take the other bird and dip it, together with the cedar wood, the red cord, and the hyssop, in the blood of the bird that was killed. He shall sprinkle the blood seven times on the person who is to be purified from his skin disease, and then he shall pronounce him clean. He shall let the live bird fly away over the open fields. And the second reading is from the New Testament, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. And this is on page 102 of the Pew Bible. Jesus heals ten men. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, he went along the border between Samaria and Galilee, He was going into a village when he was met by ten men suffering from a dreaded skin disease. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, Master, take pity on us. Jesus saw them and said to them, Go and let the priests examine you. On the way, they were made clean. When one of them saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself to the ground at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus said, There were ten men who were healed. Where are the other nine? Why is this foreigner the only one who came back to give thanks to God? And Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Amen. When I was preparing for today's service, I had at the back of my mind a question that I was going to ask you. And I'm going to ask it you, but you don't have to answer it, at least not out loud, so you're probably grateful for that. And I'm not going to drag you all out to the front to put on oven gloves and do strange things. But the question that is worth pondering is what do we mean by healing? What does it mean for us to live out our Christian faith in a broken and disordered world where sickness and disease and, as we have seen this week, natural disaster are part of our experience and the experience of people we love, people we admire? 
In everyday use, the word healing is often associated with recovery from an illness or an injury. We talk about how broken bones heal or wounds heal and so on. And we also use the word cure in a similar way. You can be cured from an infection or a medical condition. And once a person is well, we say they're healthy. And in a lot of ways, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It works well in our our ordinary speech. But I would like to suggest that if we were to think about healing in a Christian way, it isn't restricted to or even necessarily including bodily curing. Sometimes because we confuse healing and curing, we can get ourselves very anxious or very upset or very disappointed. There are Christians, plenty of them, who are suspicious of claims of miracle cures of physical illness. And there are other perfectly sane and rational people who can testify to such experiences. I remember Alistair Brown, the former head of BMS, talking about his experience. And he'd been very cynical about this until it was his experience. And the only way he could explain it was that God had acted. At the same time, there are plenty of amazing, wonderful people including lots of important and well-respected Christians who become sick or injured. And despite the earnest prayers of lots of people, they get worse. And they die. And I guess we can all testify to that. We've all experienced people for whom we have prayed and they have not got well. And every now and then, people will ask me why God would allow this. Apparently, as a minister, you know all the answers, which is a bit worrying. Why would God allow this person, who I love, to suffer in this way and for so long? Why would God not heal, that is, cure, so wonderful a Christian as this? And there's really only two things I can say to that. One of them is actually, do you know what? I don't know why. It's part of the mystery of life that things happen that we don't understand, that don't fit our idea of how life ought to be. And the other thing I say a little more cautiously, because I need to be sensitive to circumstance, is that maybe healing that this person needs... And actually that we, as those who pray for them, need to accept is not physical healing. I can remember when I was in my early 20s and thinking about healing quite a lot, that actually what I termed the ultimate healing, the release from the pains and struggles of this life, That actually is only achieved when God draws a person through death into eternity, to the experience of the promises of the Bible. Not easy for those of us who are left behind, but for that person, final, 
and complete healing. But the healing we experience in this life can be healing of relationships, healing of attitudes, healing of broken aspects of our lives, discoveries of who we are that might not have been possible had we not had the experiences we have. And if I'm right, if healing may include the cure of an illness or injury, but may not, and in fact be something much broader, what difference does all that make to us as believers in Jesus Christ? What difference does it make to our attitudes and our responses to the things that we see? What difference does it make as we turn on the news and hear about an earthquake in Haiti and all that that has brought about? And that awful evangelist in America who we just want to talk about, who just doesn't quite get the fact that we have a God of love, a God who longs to draw people to wholeness and healing, not a God who longs to beat people up. I think this is where the story of the ten lepers comes into its own. When I was thinking about Bible readings to match with that one, I thought it would be interesting, if decidedly bewildering, to hear the Leviticus account of the cleansing ritual for dreaded skin diseases. What's interesting is that in Old Testament times, the leprosy that we are thinking about over the next few weeks probably was not found in that part of the world. And these instructions seem to assume a temporary disease. It talks about, you know, when you've got the disease, this will happen. You will be checked out by the priest who, for which read doctor. I'm really glad Baptist ministers don't have to train as doctors first. But the priest was a medical professional. Go and see him. He will check you out. And if he says, yep, you've got it, you've got it. But after a week, go back and be checked again. So there's a kind of an expectation that you would recover given enough time, which is not how true leprosy works. You don't just recover from it. It doesn't work that way. And I'll be reading some stuff. I'm very grateful to Joan, who lent me something about some leprosy in Bible times and and some thoughts on that. People think that it may have been things like, I can never say this one properly, psoriasis, the one that begins with a P, but you say the S, or scabies or various dermatological conditions that people had that were contagious and could be very disfiguring, but would, with time, probably, at least temporarily, get better. So actually, these priests didn't have a very great job, did they? All these like people with nasty skin came to be examined, and they would tell them to go away, and then they would go through this ritual to bring them back once they got better. By the time that Jesus walked the earth, there probably was true leprosy in that part of the world. And so those who were affected by leprosy would be apart from their families. They would be isolated. And they would desperately be praying to be restored to health, I'm sure. But it didn't come because the illness would run its course and they would become more and more debilitated. What we actually see in those Leviticus rules are some good principles, even if some of the detail is bewildering. Separation and isolation 
are good ways of avoiding contamination and contagion. Miss Allen and I have both come up against that this week. We both went to visit somebody in hospital and were told we would be strongly advised not to visit them because they had a very infectious winter virus. So it still happens today. We, we sort of isolate people who are very infectious. But the impact for those who are affected then and now is enormous. They're isolated. They don't get to see people. They don't get to talk to people. And it must be very lonely. And so in this story we've heard about Jesus, there are ten men who have a disease, either leprosy or some other skin condition, that has forced them out from their homes and their families. And it seems that they've got together nine Jews and one Samaritan. Jesus hears the cry of these ten men. And he tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. It's interesting, I think, that there are two broad kinds of healing miracles recorded in the Gospels. There are those where Jesus actually touches people, and there are those where he does it at a distance. He speaks, and things happen. And this is the second kind. It's nothing to say that he touched any of these lepers, that he went through any rituals or anything. He just said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And he obviously spoke with authority, because off they go. And on their way to coming to the priest, they realize that they're clean, that their skin is okay. The choice of word used there is important. Cleanliness meant they could be readmitted to the worshipping community once they'd gone through this strange Levitical rite with birds and water and red cord and things. Things could go back to how they were before they became sick. So off these ten men go to be readmitted to society. And one of them comes back to Jesus. And he's the Samaritan. We know the story. We've heard it lots of times. What is intriguing is that if we read the gospel accounts, it's very rare that the people Jesus healed came back and saw him again. Very little evidence of anybody coming and saying thank you. In fact, most of the people we never hear again after the healing has taken place. They just disappear from the story. There's no suggestion that Jesus expected or anticipated that the man would come back and speak to him or say thank you. In fact, he seems to be pretty surprised and not a little bit bewildered to discover a, a Samaritan man prostrate before him praising God. Now, unfortunately, the Good News Bible lets us down at this point because its its translation from the Greek isn't quite right. Jesus doesn't say, weren't ten men healed. Jesus says, weren't ten made clean. It's it's quite important because the cleansing and and healing, I think, is not quite the same thing. But he, he notices anyway that ten people were cleansed of their disease and only one has come back. 
and he's a Samaritan. It seems to me important, not least because when I was learning Greek, which I was very, very bad at, um, I was always told that the gospel writers chose their words quite carefully. So if they wanted to say cure, they would say cure, the word from which we get therapy. If they wanted to say cleanse, they would say cleanse. Katharos, the one that's the root of my name. And if they wanted to say save, they would say save. And what Jesus says to this man is, your faith has saved you. Your faith has rescued you. Your faith has made you whole. Because healing is about the whole person. It's not just about a physical cure. And I would be so bold as to suggest that healing can occur even when a cure is not experienced. It's interesting, somebody was telling me this week, they heard something on the radio about a family who'd taken a child who has autism to Eastern Europe where they'd had some special um, treatment and experience and it had been really good. And apparently the uh, interviewer on the radio said, so your child is cured? And they said, no, they're healed. So somebody, I think, is perhaps on the same wavelength, that, that healing is not the same as curing. For that Samaritan man and for the nine Jewish men, there was a lot more at stake than their physical health, a lot more about being made whole. And that's true with the leprosy mission. We know a lot about the leprosy mission, I'm sure, but its, it's website gives a whole long list of things that they do as part of recognising the whole person, that healing is not the same as curing. A lot of work goes into research, into the causes, treatment and cure of leprosy, and they can cure leprosy if they get to it in time. But the work is much wider than that. There is work to do reconstructive surgery for people who have lost fingers or toes or been very damaged by the consequences of the disease. They give out small business loans and grants to help people start up work to make themselves self-sufficient. They do training in life skills and vocational skills and, and things like sewing and carpentry so that people can build a new life for themselves. They work to educate communities to overcome the stigma that forces people out from their families, from those they live among, amongst normally. And of course, there is the Christian dimension. It's not forced upon people. People of any faith or none are equally welcomed to receive the help of this charity. But right at the heart is a firm commitment to following Jesus. And I was reading a bit of the history of TLM, and there's a lovely story about one of the churches that was built in India. And it was the lepers, the people afflicted by leprosy, with their damaged hands and damaged feet, who took the bricks and built the church. So there is this beautiful church built by people who are physically broken, but somehow made whole, given dignity and hope through the work 
of the leprosy mission and the love of Christ. But what does any of that mean for us as individuals or as a community of faith? How does our understanding of sickness and well-being, healing and wholeness get worked out in our everyday lives? How do we express our understanding of the physical, societal, societal and spiritual dimensions in the 20th century? I've already mentioned that the, the heart of the Leviticus account, although it's a bit strange, talks about good medical practice. And we in the UK are so blessed to have really top-class medical Um, services available to us free at the point of delivery. It's great to know if you get knocked over by a jogger, you can get patched up for free by a nice person sitting over there. It's great to know that that is there for us. And it's great to be reminded that it is fine, in fact it is right for Christians to take medical help. We're not called just to sit there stoically suffering and being fatalistic about it. God gives skills to men and women in medicine, psychiatry and counselling. And we do well to accept graciously their wisdom and their help. I think it goes beyond that, and I've already hinted at it a little bit, about the, the reality of sickness that it can isolate people. People can be forced to the edge of society. People find themselves outside of the things they once took for granted. And it doesn't matter if the illness is physical or if it's mental. It can be very, very isolating for those who are affected by it. It can also make for fear in other people. Fear and confusion and a sense of helplessness that we don't know how to respond to it. In my old church, I was once going to visit a chap who came to our lunch club, and his name was George. George was in his late 80s, I guess. And I went to see him in hospital where he was being kept in isolation because he'd got an unidentified infection. I was allowed to go and see him but I had to put on an apron and gloves and a mask. It was really fetching with a dog collar that lot. And as I went into the room where he was, I began to realise how dehumanising it all was for him. What he longed for was somebody to hold his hand because he was frightened. And the best I could do was hold his hand through a latex glove. Now, we do need good disease control, don't get me wrong. But we also need to do our best to help people to feel included rather than excluded. And it's more than just the physical touch. It's also how we are in our attitudes. How do we face our own fears? How do we learn or relearn to love people who perhaps don't look so nice? perhaps don't smell so sweet or perhaps don't communicate as effectively as we would wish. It can be difficult sometimes. I don't always get it right. I find my instinct, ooh, I look like that. 
And yet, as followers of Jesus, we are called to go beyond that. And then there is the spiritual dimension. I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that the lepers calling out to Jesus was a prayer. And all through the Bible, it's reference to prayer for healing. Sometimes prayer specifically for a physical cure, but usually actually more general. And the letter of James, one of my favourite parts of the Bible, um, gives us the mandate for prayer and anointing of those who are sick. It's an important part of our life together to pray for those who are sick in body, mind or spirit. But if we're honest, that kind of takes us back to where we started because how should we pray? What should we pray for? And what happens if what we see isn't what we want? What happens if the person we pray for physically gets worse? Or dies. What does that mean? What happens if we don't get what we want? Perhaps we need to learn to look differently, to see that healing might be in a renewed or restored relationship, to see how we grow as individuals in grace, compassion, and love because we are transformed through the experience. Not long after I went to visit George, he died. I was able to rejoice that for him, the loneliness and pain of his latter years were over. But I also discovered changes in myself. That I'd learned to understand a little bit more about how healing really operates. Just about a year ago, I went to visit somebody called Frida. I knew, and Frieda knew, that within the week she would be dead. She had an advanced cancer and there was nothing more that could be done for her. She was at home, waiting, surrounded by her family, to be drawn into the arms of God. I also knew that Frieda loved Dove skin products. And I took her a tiny weenie tube of hand cream which she could use in those last few days. Just as a way of saying to her, you are still a woman, and you still have infinite worth, and you still deserve lovely things. As I sat down with her and prayed with her, her tears flowed. But as we parted for what was the last time, we both knew that all would be well, and that her healing would soon be complete. God wasn't going to make her better, wasn't going to give her more years in this life. But her family were with her, their issues had been dealt with, whatever they were, and they could all face that parting, made better, made whole, rescued from their fear. This is what the leprosy mission tries to do. And this is what we, as Christians, seek to do. Ten men met Jesus. And all of them were cleansed from their dreaded skin disease. One of them, 
was made whole. I wonder which is more like us. And I wonder what God desires for us. Our prayers of intercession today will focus on those affected by illness and those who care for them. Those who through their work and their love seek to bring some measure of healing and wholeness to others. Let's pray together. (coughs) Healing God, as we read Bible stories of miraculous cures and lives made as new, We find ourselves wondering all kinds of things. Why were some made well and not others? How do you work to bring healing in our day? How should we pray for those who are sick? Help us to be honest in our questions and also to be open to your answers, which may yet surprise us. We give thanks to the countless men and women who, through the ages, have given themselves to the study of the human body and how it may be cared for. We pray for the work of medical researchers who seek to understand, treat and prevent the many diseases known to us. Grant them skill and wisdom in their working, at the same time enabling them to remain fully human capable of compassion for and delight in the people whose suffering informs their learning. We pray for all who work in the medical profession, for physicians and surgeons, psychiatrists and physiotherapists, for pharmacists and radiographers, for nurses and midwives as they face the challenges of management initiatives and financial targets to be met, alongside their desire to care for patients, grant to them healthy attitudes to their work, renewed confidence in their calling, and the courage to make difficult decisions with integrity. We pray for those we know who are unwell at this time, For those who are beset by the niggles of age or the bugs of this season. For those who daily face the challenge of chronic conditions that will never go away and may even become more severe. For those who feel they must hide their conditions away because they are afraid of rejection or of stigma. for those who know that their days in this life are drawing to a close. In confidence and in trembling, uncertain of how you will answer, but trusting that you do, we pray that you would grant them healing, wholeness and hopefulness in whatever way may be according to your will. We pray for ourselves, aware that we are damaged people, 
capable of causing damage to others by what we say or do, or what we omit to do or say. We admit to you that we so often find it difficult to see people with some diseases, conditions or injuries in the way that you see them. We have been tainted with prejudice and fear. And sometimes we'd rather exclude than include those so affected. Help us as we pray to be willing to accept that the answer is a challenge to our own attitudes. Heal us, Lord, of the sickness of judgmentalism. Cleanse us from attitudes that dishonour your name. Make us whole people, generous and loving, willing to go where you call and to do what you wish us to. We pray for a broken world where natural disaster and human sinfulness bring so much pain and suffering. Especially, Lord, this day, we remember the land of Haiti, asking that you would bring hope and the future to lives torn apart by the recent earthquake, that you would give wisdom to those who are seeking to coordinate the relief response, that you would give compassion and courage to all people, that we who can only watch can only give money and can only pray will understand the value of these things. In a few moments of silence, we bring to God our private concerns. Holy God, who creates and recreates all life, accept our prayers and ourselves, for we offer both in Christ's name. Amen. And shall we bless each other in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, evermore.